electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The day after the bear market, bracing for whatever comes with Joe Moglia, who called the plays on the football field and at TD Ameritrade. I think we may very well have a decent uh, rally in a bear market. Something like that may happen, but the worst is not over yet. And making sense of what seems down but may not be totally out. SPACs, IPOs, and crypto. Twitter obviously is not a scientific poll. Ponzi scheme, told you so. It's absolutely worthless. Investor Tom Farley joins us. The only thing that doesn't have volatility relative to the dollar is the dollar. It's Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. We'll kick off Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick right after this. My mic. Yeah, you're the one. No, it was yeah, yours. No, it was wasn't. definitely your mic cord. No, oh, it was my mic cord. <laughs> yeah, I think you struck. Nobody's farting. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk after the break. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Just yesterday, there were pretty steep declines for stocks once again. The Dow was down by 876 points yesterday. That was a decline of 2.8%. That made its close the lowest level we've seen since February of 2021. The S&P was down 3.9% yesterday, and the NASDAQ was down a jaw-dropping 4.7%. And of course, all of these declines come uh, come after the steep declines we saw on Friday and on Thursday before that. With all of this, you've got declines pushing the S&P 500 into bear market territory. It is down 22% from its January high. Dow's off by 17%, and the NASDAQ is down by 33%. Treasury market is something to behold, too. Yields picked up pretty dramatically. Yesterday, the two-year yield closed at its highest level since 2007, the five-year at its highest level since 2008, the 10-year at its highest level since 2011. And Joe, uh, talk of mortgages being set at this point at 6% is where some of these mortgage rates are now coming in. Sticker shock for for mortgage rates, but historically, uh, I don't know, is that average? Probably five, six percent would yeah. be average over the last several decades. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's yeah, sticker shock. It's where you've gone yeah. and how quickly you got there. Crypto, which has been a big part of it, and it's just 
behaving just like a very speculative risk asset like a NASDAQ stock, which we've been saying for a while. Bitcoin had briefly fell below $21,000 overnight before regaining some ground. The plunge came after withdrawals uh, on crypto lending platform Celsius were suspended and some withdrawals on the world's largest crypto exchange, Binance, were unavailable. Turns out it was about three hours. Three hours, remember he said a half hour, it's gonna take a little longer, then we did get it fixed, but then they said that they, they were working to repair a stuck transaction and there were some little, I don't know what that is, but, but and then they said a few people were still having some problems, it was mostly fixed. Uh, the price of Bitcoin is uh, now down more than 25% in a week. Uh, it's down about 66% total, which is the, f I read somewhere, the fourth biggest percentage drop from a high in, in the history of Bitcoin. Ethereum also plunged down about 33% in a week. And this uh, is what's kind of interesting. The market cap for the space, for cryptocurrency, slipped below a trillion dollars, $975 billion for the first time since February of 2021, according to data from CoinMarketCap. And the total uh, market cap was $3 trillion. So that's the amount of carnage that you're seeing, $3 trillion to 975 But we were talking, and I, I just pointed out that um, good old Tom Lee, who was a big crypto bull when it was impossible to be a crypto bull. It had been to 20000 or around there. And what did it drop to two? It was around two or I don't remember. one, one or two. And he kept coming on saying, my, my price target is 20000 And we laughed at him. And, and we said, Tom, you're you got this great uh, reputation in, in equities and bonds, and why are, you, why are you sticking your neck out and risking your reputation by, by saying you think that this crazy Bitcoin is going to go back to 20,000? All right, so fast forward, and here we are, down to 22,000. So um, I don't know what it means. It's all relative. I, what I'm seeing now in terms of um, if you just look at market sentiment, Twitter obviously is not a scientific poll, but I'm getting a lot of Ponzi scheme, told you so. It's it's uh, it, it's absolutely worthless. There's no here inherent value. It's been you know all the the things that you come out of the woodwork. So that that may be a bottom uh, sign of bottom. May not be. Maybe it does. Uh, maybe it does. Maybe Warren will buy all of it at twenty five dollars uh, a coin at some point. <laughs> Warren Buffett saying who said yeah. that at his annual meeting. Warren, this yeah. year at Berkshire not Elizabeth Bitcoin. Warren. Yeah, Warren Buffett. <laughs> Meantime, a crypto lender BlockFi is cutting around 20% of its staff. CEO Zach Prince cited a dramatic shift in macroeconomic conditions that have had a negative impact on growth. BlockFi is backed by venture capitalist Peter Thiel. Offers a popular savings product that lets clients acquire or accrue interest on their digital currency holdings. It's just the latest crypto company to cut jobs. Crypto.com and Gemini recently announced layoffs, and Coinbase has extended its hiring pause and plans to rescind some uh, job offers. Did you see the list of all the crypto billionaires who lost money over this time? I mean, billionaires are millionaires. They're still billionaires. Do you see how many millionaires were created by the crypto? Uh, yeah. Some hundreds of thousands? Yeah. Uh, I, look, this is part of the liquidity that we saw. The Fed's going to try and take that liquidity out. It's just like a risk asset. And if you need it, whatever you have that, that you might need to, to, to sell for a to, margin call, right? You're, you're going to sell. Yeah.
All right, it's been a tough year for stocks, a tough year for Bitcoin, and a tough year for SPACs. Our next guest is no stranger to any of these. In fact, he's at the intersection of all of these right now. Tom Farley is the former NYSE president, currently the CEO of Farpeak. And let's talk a little bit about what you know in this area right now. Tom, it's good to see you. It's been a long time. Good to see you. Tough intro, but but accurate. Yeah. They- <laughs> she could have said uh, SPACs, Bitcoin, now a Bitcoin SPAC. Uh, she could have said that, but she didn't. Could have uh, said now a yeah. real-life meme here in our- <laughs> Let's talk about this because you got into SPACs a few years ago, back when things were very early days, and it looked like it was a great place to be. You had some success with it. Now things are turning on SPACs and on Bitcoin, and regulators are kind of cracking down on both of these areas right now. What happened? Where do things stand? How do you see the future playing out? Yeah, and and as you said in the intro, uh, it's not just SPACs and crypto, but I've spent my recent career in capital markets, which are also having a tough time. I think when I go back to when I raised um, my first my first SPAC in 2018, there were a couple dozen SPACs, and there were really good business people running SPACs, doing really good deals, yeah. buying cash flowing businesses. And look, SPACs don't really make sense for most businesses. Um, and you had some really, some really smart people that were finding those certain cases where SPACs made sense. Then we had this euphoria and it made no sense. Uh, so when there were a couple dozen, when I did my first back in 2018, there were 500 when I did my last back. And the industry wasn't all good business people. You know, there were scammers and schemers and blowhards, and there were people putting out absurd projections that there was absolutely no hope of, of ever meeting. And, um, you know, it was a real problem. So it, it's no surprise that regulators have stepped in. And, and made raising and, and operating a SPAC more difficult. I, I think what we're seeing with respect to SPACs is a, is a bit of a, a slow death, maybe not even that, that slow. Uh, but I suspect, just like in 2017, in 2023, you're never gonna talk about SPACs I was again. gonna say, this is not a Lazarus moment. No, They no, come back no. from the dead. This no. is SPACs now have a, a kind of a dirty name from the, the, from the bad guys who got into it. Yeah, no, they're gone. I mean, there's 600 now total. Two-thirds expire in the end of the first quarter through the end of the of the beginning of the third quarter next year. And because then, because and you then have the, a year, once, uh, two once years two, roughly, two, two years to eighteen months to yeah. two years. Yeah, and 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 so they're they're going to disappear. And then on this show, you you won't utter the words back. I suspect in twenty twenty four, more you know more than more than once or twice. I, I think um, capital markets also completely dead. I'll give you a, a stat. There have been four IPOs in June. There were ninety one in June of 2021. Um, so com- completely dead. I mean, investors- But this is a Lazarus situation. Yeah, exactly. will come back. Exactly, exactly. Absolutely, without, without question, but it's gonna be a long time. I think people who think they're going public in the back half of this year are wrong. Uh, it, it'll be 2022 at the earliest. And then crypto, um, I think, looks more like capital markets than it does like, like, like SPACs. Uh, it's a painful moment. I think retail has been smoked. I don't think retail's coming back anytime soon. Um, that's going to really impact some of the big business models in crypto that are oriented around retail and that have been generating massive fees on retail. Uh, that's not coming back anytime soon. It's going to take years to build back up the base of, of retail. It was just as institutional as getting a, a little bit of a footing, too, that the retail left. But that didn't, obviously didn't counteract what happened in retail. You saw as crypto space was $3 trillion, It's now $975 billion. And that pain is spread around, I guess, mostly retail. It's mostly retail. I mean, Luna, Terra, Luna, mostly Stella retail Luna. outside the United States. You remember Stella Luna? No. Beautiful bat. 
children's, that, children's book. So with, with SPACs, just, just for a second, yeah. the, the very, it, I mean, anything can work. It's just a means to an end to bring a company public. Right. But, but one of the advantages was you could do it quicker because you didn't have to really do any of the due diligence. Is there a way of doing what you need to do to, to protect people and still do it quickly as a SPAC? Well, th with, with a SPAC, it was a merger as opposed to an IPO. Right, but that and was it, what it, you were it, affecting. It, it allowed for a more easy path to getting public because you could do well, things that was like, the problem. You could do things, well, a according to the SEC, it was a problem. They've put out a proposed rule that would put an end to that. It'll treat it, all, it'll treat it pretty much the same as an IPO. And, and then you're just going to lose the benefits. The benefits of a SPAC are going to be very, very rare. Which is They'll, why it's going to go away, because yeah. you just do an IPO. Why, exactly. why bother? You might see a handful. Um, you might see a handful of, of new SPACs, because there are some special cases I could talk through. But honestly, it's not even worth it, because it's going to be such a tiny little corner of the so capital. So you had to be like a really serious individual to run the New York Stock Exchange. Would you? Could you be fooled by a Ponzi scheme if that's what Bitcoin and crypto is? I mean, you, you have to be really, really uh, stable and you need to look at all these things. It, it, are, are you being fooled or is it, is it something that will be long lasting and it's just uh, acting like a, an, an asset where the, you, know, you go into a bear market and this happens? This is not even the worst decline in Bitcoin. You see what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, there are I mean, people, but, but Warren Buffett says he'd buy every Bitcoin for $25. He'll, he'll buy it when it gets to $25. It's still at 22000 Is it overvalued by 100%? Yeah, I, you're conflating Bitcoin and digital assets generally. Uh, Bitcoin as, dropped from 65000 to 20000 Yeah, it's, vol it's volatile. And there's this whole <laughs> argument of like, is, is, Bitto is Bitcoin a store of value? It, 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 that's it all has volatility relative to the dollar. Well, every store of value has volatility relative Netflix to the dollar. Unless, <laughs> the only thing that doesn't have volatility relative right. to the dollar is the dollar. There's stocks so. down a lot. There's, there's beloved stocks down a lot more on a percentage basis than Bitcoin. So yeah. I, I understand that. It's a speculative asset. So you don't, you don't see it going away. You don't think don't, five years think, from now we just say, wow, that tulip bowl mania is totally gone. It's no, here to stay. No, not on the slightest doubt. Bitcoin. That's Bitcoin. what I said. Bitcoin. But, the in other other, words, not, but the other the other crypto stuff, the stable coins, the majority are different gonna, story. The majority are going to go away at any point in time. It's 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 like uh, they're technology stocks. There's some really great innovations. There's going to be some Googles. There's going to be some exactly. The, we've seen some eToys and, and Cosmo.com in digital assets. We've seen a, f a few implode in the last month. A few implode in the last 48 hours. And that's going to be the case. I think what we but didn't Bitcoin realize was how different. much was leveraged in so many of these things. How many people were kind of borrowing to make some of these trades, too? Well, it was hidden, become a little more clear. It was hidden in plain sight. That, that, that is DeFi. So DeFi was, hey, I'm going to have this coin. I'm going to stake it. I'm going to get a yield. Uh, I'm, and, and, and as part of, I'm going to get a liquidity token when I stake it that's going to represent that yield. Now I'm going to take that liquidity token. I'm going to stake it somewhere else. I'm going to get a yield. In other words, it was borrowing on borrowing on, on borrowing. Right. That, that, is, that is, to a large extent, what DeFi was. And so you're seeing a great unwind. But behind that, un underneath that, are some really great precepts. It is a more efficient way of doing business. So I think you're going to see some adult business models come in. They're going to make a lot of sense. Like I said earlier, though, I'm not a cheerleader in terms of the timing. It's going to take a long time.
the the SEC, other regulators are looking very closely at crypto right now. They're looking very closely at SPACs. Your latest deal, bullish, has, has the deal's done, but it has to be approved by the SEC. Explain that, like where things are in the process. So we announced we announced uh, the transaction July seventh of twenty twenty one. We launched the exchange bullish uh, in December. Uh, the exchange, a crypto exchange. Yeah, it's right. a crypto exchange. The exchange has gone from zero to you know in the last twenty four hours, it's done two and a half billion dollars of volume. It's gone. It's um, uh, it's it's gone nicely. It's focused on institutions. We've done relatively little marketing, and we have filed now with the SEC many uh, versions of our of our proxy. And we're working with the SEC. The SEC is being very deliberate about crypto deals in front of it because it's a precedential matter from from their perspective. The ones they let through the gate, they want to make sure that they're kind of pristine and have all the right policies um, uh, of going forward. And so we're going through that that process, and it's. It's long and it's difficult, uh, but I, under, I understand why we're doing it. You, you're looking forward to regulators kind of finally deciding how this is going. To, like, there are a couple of senators we had on uh, last week talking about their efforts to try and figure out regulation when it comes to, to the crypto world. Is, is that a good thing to finally figure out who's in charge, who's running the show, whether it's the SEC, the CFTC, on how things come down? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at this Celsius that you guys have talked about on air. I heard Joe speaking about it. They have 1.7 mostly American customers. And they just said 1.7 million, million. Pardon me, 1.7 million mostly American customers, and they just said you can't withdraw your funds. So, giving consumers a little bit more certainty in terms of who is the regulator, what are the, the what, what what amount of transparency should these firms be providing to retail? You know, Ethereum's a great example. Cl clearly, Bitcoin again is in a, is in a kind of land of its own. It has more regulatory certainty. Ethereum, if you're involved in digital assets, you're involved with Ethereum. Is Ethereum a security? Is it not a security? That, even just that basic question. And is, Ethereum is, doesn't is, fall yeah, by the wayside, yeah, and your view doesn't fall by the wayside either. No, either. no. I agree. No. I, I was just being devil's. You know that. I, I, I know. I'm a you Bitcoin, talk, I'm a Bitcoin owner. I believe in the long term value of it. I, I, 100,000 in a year or two? I don't know about that. But uh, I, I remember when it was went from 20 down to 2. Yeah. I, I don't and it got back to 65. So at 22, 22 still. A lot of money for a Bitcoin. This thing hasn't been around. I mean, what? It's been around for mm. 10 years. Right. It's volatile. If you, if you don't, <laughs> I like when you, you say that. If, I like if, when you say that. If you don't though. want, if you don't want volatility in your life, don't get involved in Bitcoin. And, and I, I say that to people all the time. But I think that gets back to the idea of: is this a currency that can be used for transactions, or is this store of value? And it's not a very good store of value at times either. It's a speculative. Do you, like, do you like the gold? You, of it. you like the gold bugs that, that are laughing about Bitcoin now, and they're <laughs> they're still sitting on gold at eighteen. They they had gold and Bitcoin both at eighteen hundred. Right. They say gold's definitely going to be better. So Bitcoin goes to sixty-five thousand, back to twenty-two thousand. And they're still taking a victory lap that they stuck with gold at 1800 don't yeah. you know? I, I, I hesitate to say this. I was thinking on the way here I wasn't going to say it um, because Go it sounds ahead. ridiculous. Please do. I still think Bitcoin is a, is a decent inflation hedge at this, at this level. It but should. But this not, is but I know it when sounds it's all ridiculous, but right every, now everyone is selling everything that they can, that, especially the things thing. that are risk, risk well, assets. Right now it's, it's, it's not a hedge when that happens. It, well, I, I agree. No, agree. It, That's it, why I hesitate saying it I'm could saying eventually from this point be, going forward. Yeah. Uh, as it be. matures, as the volatility is wrung out of Bitcoin. Maybe as you get the leverage wrung out of it. If it's not levered, then you don't have to sell it at those things. Exactly. Leverage is the same story every time we see it again and again and again. Exactly, we won't but there's be, 21 million. Like, we won't that, be around it. when we get to 21 million, but there's not many left. Right, that's but it's my, gonna there's take 21 a million, it's one. not 22 million, no. it's 21 million. And I think when people finally understand that, 
I, I think it will be a good inflation hitch. Again, I know that sounds ridiculous given the recent price performance. Don't be afraid. That's good to talk about. <laughs> um, lots more to talk about with Tom. He's going to be hanging around for the rest of the show. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, how are retail investors, the non-professionals, feeling about the market slump and recession fears? Joe Moglia, who ran online brokerage TD Ameritrade on the pulse of Main Street. It's not just inflation that's affecting the mindset of the individual investor. There's a global, there's very, very real global consequences going on as well that are significant. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Stand by, Joe. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC, where we've got a full house today. Here's Mike. Thank you. Good morning, and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. In shock, live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square, there are four people. Count them. Four people on the set at the same time. I'm I, I, tears in my eyes. Be I guess. still, my heart. Yeah, tears in my eyes, uh, along with Becky Quick. Uh, Andrew's off today. We'll, we'll be talking to everybody who's here. It's, it's great. Spending some time in studio. One of those individuals this morning is Tom Farley. Uh, good to have him on, former NYSE uh, big boss, and now uh, uh, the jack of all trades. You're all over the place. Uh, and uh, SPACs, crypto. SPACs, crypto. Everything that's, that's good in the world. You have a big future. I think, the, oh, there's a shot. We don't have Moglia in yet. Former TD Ameritrade. That's who I'm talking about. Uh, Chairman Joe Moglia. He's actually here, right to my left. Yeah, we could take a, I don't know if we can take a shot here. I don't know. I, I don't, uh, I'm not directing. Luckily, there he is. There you go. Hey, there you go. He is here. I'm excited. I'm touched. I'm overwhelmed. That's, I'm almost crying. You're almost crying. That's that is not deal. a yeah. fake, uh, that's not a green screen behind him from uh, Coastal Carolina. No, I'm uh, here. Yeah, he is actually here. Joe, you have been doing this a long time. You have seen troubled patches in the market. You have seen downturns. What, uh, what is different this time around, if anything? Or, or does this rhyme? Well, I think a really difficult, I mean, you go back to uh, with the dot-com bubble burst, March 2002 to 2003, that was really painful. Uh, I don't think anything was as painful as the financial crisis that we had in 2007 and 2008. And, uh, but this one's a tough one. I don't think it's as bad as the financial crisis. I don't think the situation today is what the financial crisis was. But it's serious. And we've talked before about recession. And I, I recognize that, that there, are, there are economic definitions for that. But the typical family in this country has been in a recession for a long time now. They feel this. They feel it very, very strongly. They feel it in the price of gas. They feel it in the price of food. They feel it in housing and renting. Uh, and it, that's been very painful for them. Now, if you've been an investor, been an investor, you've gotten whacked over the span of the last several months. And uh, I, I think when I think of the plight that the individual investor has right now, 
they, they probably have never been more concerned in the sense that we don't just have a tough market. We also have a war going on. We have sanctions with regard to Russia. You got somebody like Kim Jong-un who's got a crazy ego and he's fly, firing off missiles because he wants to make a point. And we've gone a little while, we haven't even talked about terrorism yet. So I think the typical family in this country and the typical individual investor in this country uh, prob probably has, has had more stress and has more concern than what they've had in a while. Yeah, and consumer confidence numbers show how concerned people are about inflation, how much more they're paying at the grocery store, how much more they're paying to fill up their gas tanks. I, I think that has to play into just the uncertainty and the concerns that ride out there. I totally agree, Becky, but I think the, re the typical family is not looking at those numbers. They know what it costs them, right? So at the end of the month, they don't have as much discretionary income, if any, left over compared to what they would have been a year ago. How, how big was the overall bubble that, that you, in terms of monetary, fiscal, and, and everything else that, that we may have, may be dealing with right now? And, and what does that mean about how much reckoning if, if, that we need to do and how much worse it, this could actually get? There are some really bearish guys, yeah. Grantham, Agreed. whomever Agreed. you want to talk Agreed. about. I hope they're not right. They've been wrong so many times anyway. <laughs> But this was Agreed. a big, this Agreed. was the, the combination of the financial crisis and all that liquidity, and they never went back to normal. They stayed emergency. And then the pandemic stayed emergency, never went back to normal. I mean, we haven't had real price discovery in the bond market in, in, in how long? I mean, this could be really a big bubble. Well, if it, if it is a really, really big bubble, okay, a lot of the air has been taken out of that bubble. And you referenced the, when the dot-com bubble burst. I mean, I was at Merrill Lynch then, and because of the stress that it had on dot-com companies and technology companies uh, across the country, uh, that's the reason Meritrade was in trouble. That's how, why I went from Merrill Lynch and moved to Omaha, because of what was going on there. So you asked about the numbers there. I, I, I don't remember exactly, but I thought the numbers for the, uh, the S&P got cut by 80% or 75 or 80%, and it took like 10 years to get back to normal. But I think that was specifically a dot-com bubble issue. Today, you know, we've got so, we had so much stim stimulus in the marketplace, and I think some of the people kind of blame the Fed for that. But the reality is we had a major, major COVID outbreak. We had a serious pandemic problem. We needed, the government needed to do something to step up to be able to help that. We needed greater, greater liquidity. We needed some stimulus. There were good reasons for that. All right, we're kind of paying for that now. Uh, but the Fed has a pretty good understanding, I think, what they've got to do. We've got serious inflation, much more significant than we had in like 20 years, and they know what they've got to do about it. I think what you just said, just the idea that after that dot-com bubble burst, how long it took for the markets to come back. I mean, that's kind of the scary thing. We have a group of retail investors who are conditioned to kind of buy on the dip and that it always comes back. It, it might take a while. There's no guarantee that this pops back like we've seen uh, in, in recent history. No, I agree, Becky. There's no guarantee it's going to pop back. I don't think anybody thinks it's going to pop back. I think we may very well have a decent uh, rally in a bear market. Something like that may happen. And, uh, but the, the worst is not over yet, right? The worst is not over. Not, we don't have inflation taken care of yet. Uh, and we just have the issues that I mentioned a little while ago. We have things we didn't have before. We got sanctions on Russia. We got a dollar going through the moon. We got energy prices through the moon. We, but we have a war going on. And, you know, the concern that I've got is that we thought, we, many people hoped that that would be a 30-day event. Well, now it's like 125 days, and it's not over yet. And there's always the threat. I pray, we pray to God this doesn't happen. But there's always the threat this gets past the Ukraine and becomes something far more significant than that. 
So I think, I think we are in a situation, I think, globally, where there are a lot of things going on, and they're all kind of come, coming together, and the confluence of events with regard to that are, 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 are difficult to be able to cope with because we don't know exactly what's going on. How much happen. of the inflation that we're seeing right now do you attribute to the war? I, I, I don't think I would attribute that much to the war specifically, but the war is an anxiety crisis. I, that, right? I know, I understand what you're that, saying, but I, right? we're hearing that it, you know, and I'm just wondering whether the average American hears that now and just goes. I think, I think that exacerbates the environment, that exacerbates the problem. Right. But the actual inflation, we're seeing, I, there's I, no I, way. I, agree, I would agree with it. On I the would, other side of the world, in one that. country, that that's causing. I said I agree. The, <laughs> I know. But we're hearing it every day, and it's like, I mean, we just heard it yesterday, Bernstein. I mean, Joe, we've had this incredible retail bid in the more speculative areas of the market for a decade. You know, FinTech, yeah. tech generally, crypto, these sort of areas. Does that bid move to areas like oil and gas or consumer, consumer goods, not consumer discretionary, but consumer staples, or does it just disappear for a while? I think speculative kind of usually handles itself. So if you've been involved with too many of the speculative plays, if you've been involved, if you're an individual investor, you've been involved with Bitcoin. Now, I think one thing that with the individual investor there is, um, and I know Novagrass was talking about it a little bit earlier, but uh, in fact, you asked the question, I think. Uh, I don't think the entire in individual investor world, the long-term investor, is not necessarily that involved with Bitcoin. If they are, it's a 1% of the portfolio. It's a speculative play, but they can handle 1% of the portfolio. Day traders have been involved with Bitcoin, but this has been a tough period for day traders. They're not doing well at all through this period. Now, most of the day traders tend to be younger. So we always say, if you're younger, you should be taking more risk anyway. So I think we learn from our mistakes. So the individual traders that are younger, they are learning from what's taken place over the span of the last several months, and they're learning with regard to what took place in Bitcoin. We were told for two years that Bitcoin is a hedge. Well, we find Bitcoin's not a hedge. We've, we've learned that already. Well, the other retail, I mean, look at Netflix. Is, Netflix makes Bitcoin look fabulous. Netflix is down three quarters. Uh, so a lot of those retail stocks that people have been interested in are down even worse than, say, Bitcoin. But the Netflix and the Pelotons of the world, they did as well as they did because of what happened with the, 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 the virus. Right. And that, that was the stay at home economy. And things went through the moon. Now, if I'm running one of those companies, I can't believe that we're going to have that type of demand for the rest of our lives. So the mistake they made, they started adding people and creating tremendous inventory. And now they're reading that inventory and they're struggling because of that. But I do think they come back. I think, though, there's a real reason for that, whereas the Bitcoin thing is still something that the world's trying to figure out. So the Netflixes come back. What about the retail investors? Because these are new, new investors, relatively younger, relatively new, younger investors. You get burned that badly. And that, that was what happened after the dot com. I mean, you, you know the retail world so well. But, but as time went on, investors got back involved with the market. So the day trader were the ones that got killed. The individual investors, again, probably don't have big positions in something like Bitcoin. But they're involved with the market. Now, if I'm an individual investor, we all know this, right? You've got to have a disciplined, well-thought-out strategy. You can't ever panic. And one of the things I, I think, frankly, we should talk more about on your show is the idea for an individual investor, dollar-cost averaging is by far the best way to be able to deploy capital. And if they've been doing that all along, they're putting money in the market now when it's low, uh, and they were putting in money um, while it was going up. But that's the best way, I think, to be able to do that. They shouldn't be calling ups and downs. I was just looking at Boeing. Boeing's down <laughs> Boeing's down 75%. I mean, it's not just the hypey uh, pandemic. You, you are Mr. Pulse of the retail investor. There is, 
how are both of them at this point? I think the retail investor is in pain. The long-term investor is experienced pain. The individual day trader has been getting wiped out over the span of the last several months. The reason why I make the point about what else is going on in the world, because it's not just inflation that's affecting the mindset of the individual investor. It's, there's a global, there's very, very real global consequences going on as well that are significant. That plays a significant role in terms of people's psyche and head, in terms of when they're trying to make decisions on the future of our country. Joe Moglia. Joe, I want to thank you for being here in studio with us. It's Pleasure fantastic to, here, to see you. We're trying to get back to normal on some level, and this is a big part of it. Thank you. Thank you, Peggy. Good, good to see you, Tom. Go, Joe, good to see you. It's better. It's better, Joe. No, it's better. With it is in person. It's better. Good to see you. Ford's, Ford's company, Tom Farley. Good luck. Great seeing you guys. Good to have been, you. Well, it's been too long. You'll be at around the desk again. Uh, I think you're back in yeah, a big I've, way, aren't you? I have you? another. Yeah. I have you have another, another scheduled. Uh, another scheduled appearance here next week. You got your wardrobe mapped out for that, or is I'm going to wear a tie just as a sign of respect. As a sign of respect. As a sign of respect. Excellent. Good. Good having you. It's great to be here. Good to see you. I don't Tom. like it when we're on a two shot together, but uh, I have to deal with that uh, anyway, because <laughs> um, <laughs> you're too good looking. And this is the part of the pod when I usually tell you to do things, listen, share Squawk Pod with a friend, rate us on Apple Podcasts. I mean, do all of those things. But I want to tell you about some things we've done recently. The Squawk Pod team has two brand new listeners. We'd like to congratulate producer Caroline Rahotis on the arrival of her new baby, Vincent Angelo, and editor John Lazration on his new arrival, Quinn Elise. All our best to both families and both June babies. Raise those kids to love podcasts. And that's it for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Roth Sorkin. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.